Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries. But you know what? I'm working on it and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. show, we're talking with Anne-Marie Kelly, the host of Wild Precious Life and author of Here Be Dragons, <laughs> a parent's guide to rediscovering purpose, adventure, and the unfathomable joy of the journey. And I love this part. It's a memoir about the wonderful misery of raising children with someone you love. Isn't that the truth? Um, Anne-Marie has been a commentator on NPR's All Things Considered and a frequent contributor to media outlets from the New York Observer to the Huffington Post. She's also taught American literature in half a dozen high schools from Florida to Seattle. Thank you for your service. And uh, and yeah, so that's Anne-Marie. Hi, Anne-Marie. Thanks so much for coming on That's a Hard No. Hi, Heather. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and to play around. And it's nice to be and also terrifying to be on the other end. <laughs> because when I do my show, it turns out I get the questions in advance because I'm asking those people. But now, yeah, right, I have right. no idea what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> Don't worry, I flub things all the time. It's not like a, it's not like an SAT or anything. So it's all good. It's all good. So um, I love your podcast, Wild Precious Life, and I love that you talk to all kinds of people, creative people, entrepreneurs, about making the most of the time we have, which is really what we're all about, right? We talk about setting boundaries to like live in alignment with your values and your goals and make room for the things you care about and things like that. So um, so tell me about that more. Like, tell me about the conversations you guys have on your podcast about, you know, boundaries or, or you know, how to really live intentionally. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, well, I never set it to be a podcaster when I grew up. Was that on your, your dream board ever? Did you? I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know there was such a thing. Mm -hmm. Did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> Um, so 2020 was not a great year for me. Like just show of hands, anybody else? Oh. 2020, like two thumbs down. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So I was like everybody, um, pandemicking, and I know Heather that you went through a health journey during that time. Um, you know, I was also angry in 2020, not because of the pandemic, but because my dad was dying of terminal brain cancer and the entire shift in focus of the oh. world was over here, understandably. And I am at home unable to get yeah. hospice care for my dad. 
I am watching the, oh, wow. the March Madness tournament um, be canceled, and I'm ridiculously upset, even though I never played college ball, but because now I realize I'm never going to watch college basketball with my dad again because he's going to die before this thing ends. Ugh. So that was like framing me in April of 2020, and I am, you know, I am a, a loving daughter and a, and a sibling and a, and a parent, and in order to have a funeral for my dad, it was when we had um, 10 people. Remember, we had those rules. You could only have 10 people. Churches were yeah. closed. My dad was one of 10. Oh. And he was the first to pass. So for my dad's nine siblings and his wife to attend the funeral, that meant his four children would have been able to go. And so God love my aunts and uncles. They kind of gathered around and drew straws and were like, well, I never liked him as much. No, they, they decided like <laughs> the faraway ones wouldn't travel and like the the five local ones would come. And that made room for the four of us children. But it still meant like I had to go to my dad's funeral without my husband. Yeah. And I had to like bury him without my kids, like without I had to go by myself. Without that support. How Yeah. Awful. So grief upon grief, just like the worst thing. And of course, like it's a d- so dumb. But you know, like there's the rigatoni dinner after, you know, like funerals, like those mm-hmm. are sad. But like there's the gathering wherever, like in whatever dom- domination you are, there's like Someone yeah. brings food and you all sit around and you laugh and you cry and you tell stories. You share the weight and of the grief together. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, we didn't we didn't get to do that. You didn't have that. And I am just carrying around this empty basket of loss through 2020, which was a hard year for everyone doing all the things, and I'm realizing that I am missing the stories, like the person who would have come up and said, "Your dad was my history teacher. He taught history for 38 years Mm -hmm. in a public school so like your dad was my teacher and he let me eat lunch in his room when I was too afraid to go to lunch or I talked to your dad when my parents were getting divorced or like whatever stories I was going to hear I heard none of them Mm. and I pitched this podcast in part to just like go out and find the stories like go out and and talk to people across divisions and distance and loss because I realized that, yes, I was grieving my own personal, like, my dad was my guy. Like, you're not supposed to have favorite parents, but my mom already knows this. Like, my dad was my guy. And um, we were all in grief and loss. And I was looking for other people to just talk across it. So I pitched it in 2020, just when we were all broken. And the show didn't end up standing up until 2021 as it was reopening. Hmm. But across the boards like everyone I had talked to were in those early days was just like lonely yeah introverted or extroverted yeah. they were lonely and they were carrying around this like bag of grief and sadness and maybe hadn't talked to anybody about that because you know how when people ask you like hey how are you doing and you're like I'm good like you're not yeah. good but they don't yeah. want to know you don't know if you can unload you know and yeah. so what I love about the podcast is how it turns out that like once you get through the like the bullshit answer, the real answer is like sitting right there, and you can yeah. even hear it in somebody's voice. And something about, you know, how you drive in the dark with someone, and you're not looking at each other, and so you can have those like profound conversations because you're not looking each other in the eye. Podcasting is like that. I've had the most profound conversations with my kids in the car. Like that's where a lot of teaching happened, or a lot of listening happened. It just that's like, yeah, you're right. It's it's. Something about the, the the dark and the not making eye contact. You're right. Yeah. So 
podcasting is like that. It's sort of permission to be yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. You know, you're you're meeting strangers often. I often yeah. don't know the it's often writers and creatives I'm writing I'm I'm talking to. I don't know them. They don't know me. Mm-hmm. But um it can be really intimate and I have found it to be healing and cathartic and beautiful and um I'm so grateful to be able to do it. Yeah. I the 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 story you told about your dad and I'm so sorry for your loss. I can relate to but it seems so even more profound. My my grandmother died of uh, brain cancer and I was one of the people that took care of her and it was so difficult already. I can't even imagine the layer of COVID restrictions over it and all the things you described with the having to choose who goes to the funeral. That's just awful. Um, but it's also very beautiful the way you've turned it, you know, that need for connection and story and healing into something that helps so many other people. So I just think that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. And I'm sorry about your your grandma. It is, it's not... Um... No, it's definitely not easy to watch someone that you yeah. love. My dad had a great memory. He was the kind of person to be like, oh, that's, I think you're referring to the 1987 game between, and he could like <laughs> rattle off the teams and like which player shot the buzzer beating three pointer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of the things we did when March Madness was canceled was um, one of my brothers said, you know, you can get old hoops, old college hoops games on YouTube. <gasps> and so my dad and I, like, I, I like Chromecast at a tournament in our living room oh wow! we went what back and and we because he had lo- he had brain surgery he had lost most of his memories so mm-hmm. to him that duke carolina game was brand new and i got to go back and, and like yeah find the 10 best games where his team won and we just like watched his teams win again and again in like different years and like different players and sometimes the shorts are long and sometimes they're short but i remembered the games but he didn't and so you, you know, you, we had to be creative for, you know, for how to love and um, even find a little magic during what was an excruciating time. What a gift to give him. That's, that's, that's just like, that's wonderful. What a great idea. It sounds to me like a lot of what your podcast is about, and I have listened to a few episodes and now it's one of my new favorites and I'm going to have to go back through your whole back catalog, um, is it's a lot about connection a lot about living with intention. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Are there any like um, stories you can share about um, things that have impacted you learning from your guests that have to do with sort of connection or even, you know, living with intention? Oh, my gosh. Well, first off, everyone I talked to is brilliant. And, and they remember words. You know how sometimes when you get on a podcast, you can't remember words? All the time. All the time. <laughs> I just know it. No, what's the word for? He chimes in. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, salad dressing? Yes, I meant salad. It, they just can't. <laughs> so they're, they're, these are people who work with words for a living. And so I feel like I have learned so much about how to show up and... And just how to be. So I talked to um, Andrew Sean Greer, who was a Pulitzer Prize winner. And of course, I just like, I asked him questions like, do you remember the time? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that skit on Saturday Night Live. Exactly. Do you remember that with uh, Chris Farley and Paul McCartney? Exactly. Remember that I was a van. I was living in a van down by the river the whole that time. That was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. But like one of the things he said in passing, and it wasn't even about his book, was he talked about 
this stint he had as like a travel writer and how it would be his job to like write about this one travel activity. And so he would go and inevitably something would go wrong. He described like they were supposed to take a boat down the river, but they missed the boat and they had to go in a canoe and then the <laughs> canoe sank or what? It just like yeah. these preposterous stories. And he said in the beginning of his travel writing, he was always like bemoaning, why couldn't it go right? And then he had a, a, a trip go right. And he's like, that was the most boring piece and nobody read it. And he realized that like the adventure of the travel is often not the things that go well, but yeah. when you have to canoe down the river, right? right? I mean, and think back to the travel that you've done, right? I remember hitchhiking in Italy after my car was towed and the guys who picked me up were all smoking weed and I got in the car. I don't know, like, like, <laughs> t- like terrible judgment. Like I'm alive yeah. to this day and, and, and yeah. folks don't do that. But yeah. like the, 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 the stories you tell are about when you miss the boat or yeah. when you hitchhiked to get your wedding dress and they're about when things went badly and so i i feel like i i look at bad news or bad moments and i'm always thinking oh yeah this is the story i'm gonna gonna laugh about later yeah i literally had a conversation yesterday with a friend who traveled to the uk and their luggage was lost they were there for three days and they didn't get the luggage back until the night before they took off to come back home. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was awful. It was an awful trip, awful experience. They were there with their mother and who fell and hurt herself. And and she, this person said to me, you know, it was awful and I'm cranky and tired, but, the, but I'm going to look back at this and laugh and say, remember the time when... <laughs> and it, and I, I think there's that commiseration, right, where we all, I think to make a story like that popular. We've all had mishaps and yeah, I think there's that human connection through commiseration often, so. I've also talked to people about, um, I talked to writer Kwame Alexander and um, psychologist and like coach Rachel Simmons. And I, I've talked to a bunch of people about failure. Mm. I feel like I have a different, um, if anything, it would be sort of a, what do I say no to right now? I say no to doubt and failure because they both and and others have done the same, like tell stories about being told no, like, and doing it anyway. Like how many times if I had said, no, right. Heather, I don't think you could have a podcast. Like how many times would you have pitched it before you're right. like, oh, I guess I can't have one. Like two, three, like I know that. I often believe the story that I think the world is telling me. And listening to Kwame Alexander talk about the number of times he went back to someone with a different version of the same book or looked for the yes and the no that he was being told. Or even um, Rachel Simmons talked about failure. Failure is just going to happen and it points you in the direction that you want to go. Like if I right. pitch a story and I'm told no, if if I give up on that story, okay, maybe that wasn't a story I wanted to tell. But if I double down, I'm like, no, 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 I really, really want to tell the story about how my friends and I used to do exorcisms outside the janitor's closet when we were in the fourth grade. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to tell that story and don't let the world tell me no. But mm-hmm. I love the way I learn how to be from other folks who've who've done it. I just feel really lucky to to dwell in the wisdom that other people are willing to share. There have been so many times talking to people like you on our podcast where 
you know, you kind of know something, but you just don't think about it from just that one different perspective. And it just kind of clicks everything into place and you have that big aha moment. It's such a gift. And I've had people joke with me that, um, I, you know, this is my free therapy. And I would say, yes, yes, it is. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. And we're back. So you wrote this book about parenting, and I love the title of it, and I love the whole premise of the misery of raising children with someone you love. Is That is like, that got my attention right away because it is such hard work. Um, and you've been a high school literature teacher. And so I wonder if you had any thoughts or insights about boundaries in the context of teaching younger people or raising younger people, younger humans, um, or if you've learned anything from some of your guests relating to, you know, passing that knowledge forward. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I want to be like, no, and then I don't have to. That's a really good question, and there's there's a lot of directions I could go with it. I guess, first off, the book. So Yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, I wrote Here Be Dragons with my – sometimes I introduce him as my first husband, like after he loads the dishwasher <laughs> poorly, but my, my, my current husband, too. Um, and I think it came from the idea that it takes one set of skills to make babies <laughs> – and another set of skills to raise them. Yeah, <laughs> and, that is true. And what you what you love in someone, like their spontaneity and how they never have a plan and how they're so much fun, you grow to hate. And and he would say the same thing about me, right? Like with um, when you're trying to raise children with them, right? Because spontaneity was something I loved about my partner when we were dating, and something I hated. When we were trying to like figure out what was for dinner and when it was going to be served and who was going to pick up who, I, I don't want to live in the spontaneity. I want to schedule, man, and I want to <laughs> stick to it. Um, and you learn all this baffling stuff about oh, like the, the ghosts of the way that you were raised, both both good and 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 evil. Uh, I remember getting into a fight with one of my children about um, boots. It had snowed. We live in Cleveland. And she didn't want to wear her snow boots. And we were heading out the door. I'm like, well, if you don't wear your boots, then we're not going. <laughs> my husband looks at me and his jaw is like, why would you, it's like, why would you say that? Now we can't go. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, she won't wear her boots. 
And and so, and he's like, you're making that up. It's That's actually not a thing. I tell you what, if she walks outside without her boots into the snow, I bet she'll put them on. <laughs> or if not, like she's not going to, it's not like, it's not like lava. It's not going to melt off her feet. So we had this like, this little conversation off to the side. And, and I had to go back to my daughter and said, and also, <laughs> if you don't wear your boots, we're going. <laughs> so, like, just change the rule that like the person that was me had made up. And um, you know what she did? She walked down to the snow and with her bare feet and said, I'm cold. And we picked her up and we put her in the car and like the world kept rotating and all went well. Mm-hmm. And I had just... I, I think about the the boundaries and and all parents are doing the best that they can. I, I firmly believe this, right? Like all parents are doing the best that they can. But sometimes the best that you can isn't very good. <laughs> and and or sometimes the times have changed. I've talked about this before, especially with raising daughters. I feel like I was raised to be like obedient. Mm-hmm. You know? I think a lot of us were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to For talk sure. unless you're talked to. Or to, like, do what the teacher said. And at some point in my life, I just realized that, I don't know, I want more than that for my daughters. I actually right. want them to be disobedient right? when when it makes sense. I want them to say no to my, to my well, you should. I want them to find their ability to say, no, that's not right for me. And as a parent, to really listen. And there's this friction, right? This, like that happens when their no is like wait a minute but when I was a kid I wasn't allowed you know to quit a team or to skip piano but listening to them find their voice and to control their destiny even when it means saying no to you that's really important yeah yeah I yeah I'm having so many thoughts in my head right now so I have a niece who's six now six or seven six she has been from day one the fiercest little creature, just <laughs> powerful and fierce. And she has no problem saying no and setting boundaries. And I love that my sister, who's raising her, is just like, okay, well, let's figure this out then. Like she totally respects, she respects that. Um, and and in hindsight, I realized I, I I had a couple of rules with with raising children. One was no baby talk. And I always spoke to them as if they were just like someone my own age in terms of like respecting their opinions and respecting their their views. And so, yeah, they got to quit soccer and they got to, uh, you know, quit piano lessons after a while after they, you know, did the required amount of time. Um, And I had other parents come to me and say, well, you should enroll him in football. And I was like, well, he doesn't want to do football. But they don't know what they like at this age. You need to sign them up for everything and let them try everything. And I'm sure there's some wisdom in that, but I also felt like I'm not going to force my kid to do something they don't really want to do when it's not an important thing. Um, so I love that. Yeah, the way you yeah. You I mean, talk because if that. you if you insist upon them doing stuff, Right. I, I my daughter loved to run. And so I plunked her in cross country and she hated it. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to run <laughs> for five miles. Mm-hmm. She just liked the way her legs felt and she ran and then she wanted to stop when she was tired. Right. Right. And when I made her run, and my son runs cross country and loves it. So this is not a this is not an anti cross country campaign. Right. Um, 
<laughs> but by making like I that that year that I made her do cross country, she stuck it out. She was like sick to her stomach before the meets, mm. and she hated it afterwards. And she stuck it out because I said, "We don't quit things." And <laughs> I tell you what, she's never run again. So if you want if you want to beat them into submission, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, but it but at what cost, you know? Right, right, Versus right, right. Just if she's like, I don't feel like I like this mom and I don't want to do it. That's OK. There are other things to like. Right. It's it's uh, we I think sometimes are more concerned about what other people are going to say about us than we are about, like, what's right for the kid. And letting go of that is, you know, takes years and years and years. And I still goof it up a lot of the times. But don't it we has all been healthier for all of us? <laughs> <laughs> And what about as a teacher? Did you find you had trouble with students who didn't respect boundaries or were you happy to see the kids who pushed boundaries a little bit? I guess I wonder sometimes about young people. It seems like this next generation coming up have less trouble setting boundaries. I feel like there is definitely a generational thing. Um, and, And I wonder, like you were just talking earlier about like not accepting no and keep keeping you know, keep trying, keep submitting things, keep finding another way. Um, has that come into play at all as a teacher or as a parent? That's such an interesting question. So I think back to, I mean, I am a, I'm in my 40s. I have been teaching for a long time. And I think about the way I used to enter a classroom. It was sort of one of two, two strategies at the beginning of the year. It was either like fear, like no one can use the bathroom, so don't ask. <laughs> You know, like just like like you, you you sometimes played the part of the teacher you saw in a movie. You know, it's just like the test tomorrow will be worth a million points. You know, it's <laughs> going to take three out. Like you just wanted. I don't know. You wanted to be the teacher they worked the hardest for. Right. Or the right. Teacher who's like no meant no. I remember one time I had a kid stand up to me like I told her, well, OK, we'll talk about it after class. She's like, I'm not staying. And I, I was so afraid of like the whole class seeing this girl walk out and not stay when I told her to stay that I threw everyone else out of class <laughs> it was like five minutes before I'm like that's wow. fine then everyone else you're dismissed early and like 22 people left and Talk this one girl stayed approaching things from a different direction <clears throat> wow <laughs> exactly and it was like it was bananas like I felt like I was also I mean maybe that worked that one time um but I also think that there's something to be said from approaching students from a place of like fear or I in chargeness it can work mm-hmm. um but I just like with kids I don't know that the students need to be controlled so much as right. to like I don't know about you but sometimes I have to go to the bathroom <laughs> you know like why is that an unreasonable request right, I, I sometimes right. I'll talk to the kids about like if I'm in the middle of a profound sentence which is rare but if I say if you if there's one thing I want you to leave this class with and one thing only, maybe don't ask me to go to the bathroom then, you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but of course you can go to the bathroom. Like, let's let's talk about the real stuff. I also I mean, in this age of we have um, we have chatbots and AI software that that right now, if I assign a student any paper, they can go online, enter the prompt and then the computer can spit out everything. The computer can write the paper for them. So I'm always thinking about what prompts students when all the answers are out there, what prompts them to ever do their own work? You've got to figure out... Or to want to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to figure out integrity. You've got to figure out 
Sometimes it's just a relationship with me that makes them want to. Sometimes it's a relationship of getting to know themselves as learners. Um, Mm -hmm. That doesn't come from a place of fear, though. That actually comes from a place of, like, love and respect. And even if a kid does cheat in my class, that's about both of us, right? If I assign you the scarlet letter and I'm like, it's due Tuesday, (laughs) and you're like, wait, what? You know, I have over-assigned. You might cheat because you're afraid of failing because I've set us up for failure with my assignment. I think it's a a two-way... Street. So, yeah, and the kids are definitely more, to your question, they're definitely more able to say what they want and need. And also, having lived through COVID, I had students sort of be like, this doesn't matter as much as you think. And and they're not wrong. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, I had students be like, yeah, I don't know. A C in this class is fine. And there might be something healthy about that. Wow. Yeah. So you're still teaching. I am. I have many jobs. Wow. How challenging is that now since COVID? And, and you know, I, I've heard so many stories about the learning loss and kids having trouble adjusting and being back in the classroom. Are, is that something that you, you're seeing as well? Sorry to be randomly off topic, but that's me. No, that's okay. <laughs> I think at the beginning we were all adjusting. Like we had to put on mm-hmm. hard pants. You know, we had to like... Oh, pants. Get, oh, we yeah. Had to wear pants again. Um and the masks, for me, actually, masks were really hard because I felt like kids couldn't see if I was joking. They couldn't see if I was smiling. I couldn't mm-hmm. hear them sometimes. So there were just some physical barriers in the beginning. But um, learning loss. You know, I'm not as worried about it as the New York Times is. I'm sure mm-hmm. in aggregate, we've some kids have forgotten some things. But my job was always to meet a student where they were. Mm-hmm. And to move them along. And and mm-hmm. kids come in all shapes and sizes and abilities. And they might be fantastic at speaking their ideas. And they might struggle to write them down. Some are really organized and some are, are learning to organize. My job is always to meet them where they are and to move them along. And so, yeah, after the pandemic, I feel like there were some gaps. And there probably continue to be. But that is mm-hmm. true. That is true all the time. So for me, it hasn't actually been the the cataclysm that I think I, I maybe for younger kids it's been. Yeah. I love that during this conversation a few times you've said things like, let's talk about the real things and is this really important and maybe that's not so important. And I, I love that you're approaching things in a way of like really stepping back and not just, you know, we sometimes we just get stuck in the in the what we have to do, in the expectation, in the in the this is the program we have to follow. Um, and it sounds like you are not that kind of a person and that you're, again, living with intention, thinking about, you know, what really matters. Oh, thank you. You caught me on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so we just had, since you're a literature teacher, and I know you speak with lots of writers and other really amazing creative people, we just finished reading a book by Sarah Knight. It's a nonfiction book about setting boundaries. It's called Fuck No. A little asterisk in there. And so I was thinking, like, what do we pick for the next book? And it's summertime. And I don't know about you, but in the summer, I like to read fun nonfiction, you know, vacation read type books. And I wondered if you had any suggestions for books that people might enjoy that have themes around setting boundaries or saying no or or even just fun reads. Oh my goodness. This is see this will be the part where I forget things like the words. The most random interviewer, I know. No, no, <laughs> Sorry. that's wonderful. I 
I don't know about if they'll they'll fit all of those categories, but I just spoke with a wonderful writer out of Canada. Her name is Uzma Jalaladin, and she does classic re- retellings of classic tales. So she's reset Pride and Prejudice, and You've Got Mail, and um, uh, Emma Emma um, Jane Austen like books in in Emma. She she resets them into Muslim, conservative Muslim communities, and. Um, she does a great job of like the Elizabeth and Darcy characters in, in uh, Pride and Prejudice are are being kind of hammered on all sides about like how they choose to to fall in love with this person or that or how faith uh, gets in the way of or makes their um, their lives better. Her most recent one is called Much Ado About Nada. It's just snappy <laughs> and fun. And, and if you've yeah. ever like fallen for the wrong person, I think it's a really fun, um, fun beach read. I really liked that one a lot. Um, I've I've read so many incredible books. I, I'm maybe people are late to the party and haven't read Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow yet. If you haven't read that one yet, I, I know some women who didn't pick it up because they're like it's about video games, and I'm like, you know what? Shut up. Just because Donkey Kong is in the first chapter does not make it about <laughs> video games. And second, you know that you played Pac-Man and Space Invaders and Frogger, so shut up about that. You you have a video game past, but it is the best story of friendship that I have read in a really long time that's called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and um that was one of those books I got to the end of and I just went back to the beginning and started it again oh yeah I love that (laughs) you're like I just don't want this to end I want to live in this world a little longer yeah yeah Yeah. and one more I I have um just kind of on the tip of my tongue is um Monica Wood wrote a book called the one in a million boy and that was a book I got completely stuck with because it was meeting a character on the page who I'd never met before, a 104-year-old Lithuanian woman. Um, wow. And you're like, I don't, I've never met you before. And then you get to know her and you see yourself in her and you see oh, your mom wow. in her and your best friend in her. And that's a great story of friendship. Um, beautiful. The one in a million boy. I you don't actually want to get me started talking about books because then they'll be like, we need to wrap Anne-Marie. And this one, this is not, I mean, (laughs) Ashley C. Ford's somebody's daughter is amazing. Like, like you, you get me going and this is all I will talk about. Oh, that's fantastic though. I'm definitely going to put a list of all these on our show notes so people can check them out. Oh my gosh, you could make this place beautiful with Maggie Smith. That's an amazing book. Sorry. She's just like one of the best memoirs I've ever read. Oh wow! Oh, my okay. God. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna keep going. No, no, no I love it. it. I love it. That's why I asked. <laughs> I was like, I've been really kind of racking my brain about what what should we read next as a book club, and so I wanted to talk to the expert. So I'm so glad you gave us your feedback. So what's what's coming up on the podcast for you? Who are you talking to next, and and what other great things are you up to? Oh, lovely! So I am talking to a woman named Virginia Soul Smith who wrote a book called Fat Talk, and it is blowing my mind about oh. diet culture and the mm. damage we we all kind of know we've done to ourselves, but that we don't realize that we're passing on to our children. I mean, something as simple as like, don't call that person fat, she's beautiful. Now mm-hmm. you've set fat and beautiful in opposition to each other. That, that we, we pass right. along all of these ideas to our kids that food is something that needs to be controlled, that, that gaining weight is something that's like a, a character flaw. 
Anyway, she's blowing my mind. Uh, Virginia Soul Smith is is that one. And I'm talking to uh, a Cleveland writer. I'm talking to uh, Justin A. Reynolds about his work. He's written everything from like Spider-Man, um, like Miles Morales type books to young adult stories that take place um, here in Cleveland. Um, I, I've got actually lovely. I, my job is so I just how lucky am I? I know. So just, like, talk Fantastic. to people about yeah. books. Like, what even is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also, mean, I'm going to I'm going to Europe with my daughter this summer. She says <gasps> I told her we would do that for graduation. I have no memory of telling her that, but I'm on board with it, so we're doing it. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, I hope you enjoy your travels and get some great new experiences you can share with and meet more people that you can bring to your podcast and all the books you've mentioned including the two you're reading now um i'm yeah i think our listeners would be really excited to look into and um hopefully they'll join you on your podcast and hear your conversations with the authors and um and also check out your book so um it's been so wonderful Anne-Marie having you on you're such fun to talk to and um I just love what you're doing, and uh, I hope we can continue to collaborate and and, uh, stay in touch. Hey, right back at you. Thanks so much for having me. Got questions or a boundary-setting success story or flop? It's easy to get in touch with us. Send an email through our website, hardnopodcast.com. DM us on social. We're at hardnopodcast. Or leave a message at 216-370-3410. We'll be featuring some of our favorite questions and messages in future mailbag episodes. So get in touch. You can find show notes and a transcript of today's episode on our website, hardnopodcast.com. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any new episodes. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a rating and review, especially on Apple, so others can find us too. That's a Hard No is a production of Clever Girl Marketing, my strategic marketing agency based here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. You can learn all about us at clevergirlmarketing.com. It's written by me, Heather Drago, and our amazing marketing and production coordinator, Mara Del Rosario. Production support, Evergreen Podcast, Noah Fouts, producer and editor extraordinaire. Our awesome new rock anthem was written by Noah and performed by his band, The Big Leagues. I love it so much. Thank you, Noah. Shout out to Jake Donnelly, the videographer and photographer who's the creative force behind our YouTube videos. You demand, Jake. You can find him at rjdonnelly.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no and say it unapologetically. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.